Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast and would you believe it, international rugby is finally back. Scotland, massive game against Georgia, uh, a sold out, stroke empty BT Murrayfield on Friday night and we've got the team and everything to talk about all coming up. We've got huge other discussion points like a Scotsman lifting the Champions Cup. The Lions are coming to Murrayfield as well, and the SRU have once again found themselves in a bit of a scrumash about ticketing. So lots and lots of stuff to, for us to discuss today. Helping me do so, as ever, Matt and Alan. Matt, how are you doing, bud? Yeah, good, man. I, I enjoyed the sort of combination of scrumash and scrum there into scrumash. That, that was something. I say, yeah, it's a new word that I've invented purely for uh, this podcast. I'm just testing it out. And um, Alan, you're also there. How are you doing, fella? Good, good. Excited about the return of international rugby for, I guess, what, the first time in seven months? More than seven months. It's that that night before feeling that we haven't had since... um, they they cancelled the Scotland Wales game really really late on in the sort of the second weekend of March. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a while. It was I have to say I got very very excited when the the team dropped um, on Twitter, um, and we'll be coming back to dissect all of that. But first, I just want to let you know, of course, where you can keep up with the Thistle. We're absolutely everywhere now. You you just wouldn't believe it. We're on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod. We're on Instagram Thistle underscore Rugby underscore Pod. You can send us an email and we've got an absolute belter coming up later. That's the Thistle Rugby 
uh, at gmail.com. And we are breaking records week on week with our newsletter. Um, thank you, everybody who subscribed and is reading that every week. That's on Substack, Thistle Scottish Rugby Pod. If you fancy our take on Scottish rugby in your inbox, Every Monday, it used to be first thing. Now it's sort of coming out around about lunchtime, depending on how busy we are. But at some stage on Monday, we give you a, a newsletter sort of wrapping up everything on Scottish Rugby and looking forward to everything that is coming up. So that's Substack, This is Scottish Rugby Pod. Have a look, um, subscribe and share that as well. So that's everywhere you can find us. So why don't we start by very, very quickly looking back at the Champions Cup final from the weekend and what a game it was. But it was Stuart Hogg, Johnny Gray, Sam Hidalgo-Klein and Sam Skinner's extra chiefs who took home the spoils over Finn Russell's um, Racing 92. Matt, I'll come to you first. Um, a great result for the extra lads in an absolutely mad game. Yeah, it really was mad. Um, I think actually the... The lack of crowds perversely contributed to that because you've come to associate sort of Champions Cup finals with pretty tense affairs, and I think that having the fans there sort of adds adds to that. So, it, you know, at least for the first half, it tends to be a sort of kick fest. But within fifteen twenty minutes of the game, it was just absolutely crazy. It was so open, um, and you know, with with extra fourteen nil up after ten twelve minutes. You kind of thought they were going to run away with it. But to be fair to Racing, through some pretty crazy play, a lot of which was directed by Finn Russell, they came back into it and probably could have won the match. I think Exeter were deserved winners overall just because they probably made less mistakes. But Racing were were in it until right till the end um, from a point when you thought there was sort of no return. It's sort of a classic... Thin performance in a lot of ways. It was sort of you got you got the good, but you got kind of the bad at the same time. And I think with the with the bad, you sort of had a few moments where there was probably you know obviously where he sort of juggled the ball in his own try area. I think there was that kick that that kind of quite sloppy kind of um, rubber that kind of ricocheted and nearly got the nearly um, let extra in for the try. But then I, I think the, the piece that he's got the most criticism for, which is that pass that got intercepted by um, by Noel. I, I, I do really think on reflection that in that moment, it was the right decision to throw that pass. It was just the execution that ultimately failed him. Well, that's quite a contrarian position for you to take, Alan. Um, if you read Twitter, which we probably spend too much time doing, um, Finn has throwing away his chances of um, starting at number 10 for the Lions. Do you buy into that um, on that narrative, Matt? Well, I, I think you have to sort of take into account the context of the match. This, this was a racing team that were 14-0 down and had a scrum half who seemed determined to lose them the final. So I think that Finn ultimately, and, and you know, racing were never in the lead in the match. They were always chasing the, the game. So I think in order for, for Racing to claw themselves back into the fixture, Russell had to try things. Now, if he's got a scrum half like, I don't know, uh, you know, someone more solid like a Ben Youngs or a Gareth Davies, Conor Murray, that, that type of player, and a pack that's in control and on top of their opponents, not saying that's going to be easy against South Africa, 
then he will be forced to do less of those plays, I think. But he still has that ability to to unlock defenses that I don't think any other ten in the, the who's up for selection has. So I, I can see why some people would think, you know, that that maybe sums up why Gatlin wouldn't take him. It, it maybe impacts his chances of starting in that ten jersey. But I, I think we are all kind of the view that that would be a bit of a, a stretch anyway. Do you, I guess, going to that specific pass, because it was such so, sort of like a 14-point swing, do you, do you think it was the right thing to do? I agree with you that the space was there, and if it had been executed, then at least Rassing would have gained another, you know, 30, 40 metres. I still think at that stage of the game that's been completely helter-skelter and, and the fact that Racing seemed to score and then concede or score and then drop a kickoff, if Russell had done something like played the, the percentages there, kicked for a bit more territory, I think that arguably might still have been a better option. No, I see that. I think, I think it, was, it was an interesting bit that he sort of put in the newsletter, which was, I do think, out of all the sort of Lions 10s, the, the, the potential sort of negatives in Finn's game are definitely given a lot more focus. I just think because they're so much more sort of obvious just because of the way the way he plays. And, you know, ultimately, I, I think some of the some of it is is valid. And I think one of the issues we've found with, especially Finn Russell, is, I don't know, it's a little bit, like sometimes sort of Brexit or independence debate, it's like there's there's very little nuance within it. You know, you, you obviously say people go quite hard line on whether he's sort of the best player in the world or the best player in the, the last decade of uh, French rugby, as sort of Johnny Beatty said, or you get a lot of people who are quite hard line on him not being the right fit for that sort of Lions team. I, I think um, the, the other thing that I wrote in the newsletter, which... I probably slightly more frustrated with was just towards the end of the match when Rassing were very much in it, camped an extra's line. Um, I think we're a point down at the time and went through, you know, 10, 11 phases, weren't going anywhere, 50 meters out, take a drop kick. And that's not entirely Finn Russell's fault. Um, it seemed as if there wasn't any real sort of team plan to, to, to set up that, that three-point opportunity. But that, that to me, just seemed, you know, a, a real failing on on his part, I suppose. You're saying Rassing need damn parts? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think Russell's... Has, I don't think Russell's ever got a drop kick for, for Scotland. And the, the only drop kick I can think of that he scored for Glasgow was... Do you remember one of the 1872 Cup games, the... the he was lining up a penalty and the ball fell off the tee and he picked it up and he, he dropped a kit. He dropped a goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does just kind of feel, I don't know, once again, we you mentioned the fact we probably focus on his feelings too much compared to the other tens, but it does feel like Sexton, Bigger, Farrell would have dropped into the pocket at that point and fired over the three. I have actually, based off the fact that Finn Russell refused to, or didn't refuse to, or didn't, 
um, do a drop kick at the weekend. For a little quiz later, I have actually got a list of all the Scotland players who have scored a drop kick in the last 20 years for Scotland. Jeez. I think we might have done that quiz before. It certainly seems seems familiar. I don't know. I'm losing track of all these quizzes that I've lost over the last uh, three and a half years. But we focused an awful lot on Finn there. I mean, what sort of... Um, I mean, obviously, fantastic win for Hoggy. Didn't get into the game too much, mainly because the ball just didn't really come his way. But Johnny Gray sort of putting in another very solid um, performance in the pack. And big Sam Hidalgo-Klein coming off the off the bench and, and getting the winning turnover. Yeah, this is where sort of my understanding of the rules, I think, sort of slightly limited because I sort of saw it, saw it and automatically just assumed that that it was a penalty. And and whilst I think potentially there is um, a narrative that you know his 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 feet are behind the line, I just don't think that that's what went through Sam Hidalgo Klein's mind when he went for the ball. I think he very much kind of went in with with no understanding of where his feet were placed. Yeah, I, I think you're right. But I mean, if ultimately it doesn't matter about his intention, right? I, th- I think also if you just, yeah. if, you, if you looked at that breakdown as a whole, like Donnick and Ryan comes completely off his feet. Machineau is trying to get the ball and there's an extra player basically under his feet. Like I kind of feel as if there was so much going on that Nigel Owens would have got a lot less grief if he just called a scrum to Rassing. Yeah, hundred percent. I just you're completely right. Given given the scoreline, given where we were in the pitch, it's it's a punch. It's a punchy call at that time in the game for what you're right. It's it's the sort of ruck that. And to be fair, this was you could probably have said this for maybe fifty, sixty rucks on the day where you could probably given a penalty or a scrum either side. Right, the sort of probably permutations of uh, of how you could get there. But no, it was good. I mean, and I said. Well, I think Johnny Gray probably was a little bit outshone by sort of Johnny Hill. I think Johnny Hill just generally is an absolute savage. But, you know, again, you know, what we sort of talked about, just just having Johnny Gray and Sure Hogg just winning, you know, trophies is just sort of a a great place to be because, you know, ultimately they haven't won anything since sort of the 2015 um, Pro 12. Yeah, absolutely. Doing, they are going for the double this um, this coming weekend in the in the Premiership final. It's very exciting and sort of new to think that there could be you know three Scotland players coming into coming into camp with you know a European and an English Premiership title under their belts. I mean, it's it's not uh, it's not sort of a skill set that is usually associated with Scotland internationals. So hopefully, it will only be a um, a positive thing. Um, but it, moving on from the um, the European uh, Champions Cup there, and we talked an awful lot about Finn's uh, potential for the Lions next summer. It was announced this morning by the SRU that they've agreed that the Lions will play a game versus Japan before they fly off to South Africa next summer, um, which is pretty exciting. I know that we've been pretty down on Scott's involvement in the last couple of tours, but... The prospect of the Lions playing at Murrayfield is pretty cool. Please refer to it under its official title, the 1888 Cup. 
<laughs> Sorry, yes, of course, the 1888 Cup, which is such a copy and paste job by the SRU's marketing team, isn't it? What, why is it called that? The first Lions game, I think, was in 1888, is my understanding. Uh, against Japan? <laughs> no, against uh, New Zealand, I think, or Australia, one of the two. But uh, yeah, they, they needed a name. And they saw how well 1872 has landed within the Scottish population. And they were like, we need a piece of that. Absolutely. But there's already the sort of traditional grumblings before we get into ticketing versus um, the ticketing variety of grumblings of it was announced as a Lions home fixture. Um, and quite a lot of people were saying, depending on the selection, the Lions might actually get a bit of a negative reception at, at Murrayfield because of the way, um, I suppose, the perception of the way that Gatland has treated Scotland players in the last few years. What did you make of that, Matt? Well, it'd be interesting because I think uh, today it came out that Premiership Rugby aren't going to let any of uh, the English players or you know, probably even some Welsh players maybe, uh, for that matter, play in that match because I think it coincides with their finals with their playoffs as well so you know maybe there will actually be a lot more scots um you know representing the lions than than we think although i suppose the, the current lions in contention hoggy would may well be involved in the the sort of tail end of the english final anyway so yeah good uh, that might not might not might not be the case but um the the other um i suppose the other connected thing to this is that um Scotland, Scottish Rugby also announced um, that the pre-sale um, and the ticket ballot has now opened for the France and the Fiji and the final weekend match of the Autumn Nations Cup for those who have bought the Nevis membership. Now, for those who remember the newsletter or our last couple of pods, the Nevis membership is the top level. 34 quid, it gets you, you know, your personalized newsletter, your name on the tunnel and entry to this ticket ballot. Now, that is all seems fair enough, has all been um, discussed. They've also said that if you sign up to the Nevis, you will be able to enter a, ball- a ballot for tickets for that particular Lions game. So that's another sort of incentive. Um, but I suppose the, the big bone of contention has been that it seems that in a communication to the clubs in September, the SRU said that 10% of the France, Fiji and final weekend tickets would be reserved for club membership. But that seems to now not be the case. Do, I mean, do, do we know that for a fact? I don't know if that's been communicated specifically yet. That, that's, I suppose that's a fair point. There was, we have seen a communication that went to the clubs that said that 10% would be available to them. Um, and there was certainly an awful lot of grumbling that that wasn't going to be the case. Um, and it certainly wasn't mentioned in the communication regarding the ticket ballot opening. Not that it necessarily would be. But um, what have you made of this sort of, I suppose, this conversation around ticket balloting? Anyone fancy that one? Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's, it's a hard one. We're all fully aware of how difficult it is financially for the, for the SRU. And obviously there's been some pieces in the press this week about how, or in, there's been one piece of press this week about how the SRU haven't sort of published accounts and it's sort of 
a couple of months later. It, I think ultimately, the way in regards to how they've sold it to fans publicly, I, I do feel like they've been very upfront about the fact that there is a very high chance or there is a good chance that fans will not get into the stadium this year and have positioned it as more of a this is your chance to support Scotland and this is therefore all the additional stuff that goes into it as well as as well as the ballot. But the one piece that actually sort of pissed me off a little bit more than the kind of general Scotland stuff was them throwing in this kind of bone of lines tickets. Because yeah. as we know the the Lions are also doing their own ballot for the game, which does not appear to have a paid for ballot. So you're running sort of two ballots that one that you've got to pay to enter and one that you don't have to pay to enter. And secondly, there's no indication from the SOU of how many tickets they have actually available to sell for that game. We don't know what allocation the Lions have given them. The Lions in all in all in all seriousness, could have given them like a thousand tickets, right? And they're now marketing this ballot, this kind of ballot for the game. And I imagine a lot of people are thinking that the SOU has a good amount of those tickets to offer. Yeah, that, I was just going to say the same thing that you, you know, unless the SOU can guarantee that you've got a better chance paying than going through the lines official website then that does rankle slightly i think you know on on top of that if the club allocation has been removed from what the uh original agreement was and it'd be great if someone like a listener from from one of the clubs in scotland could confirm or deny that then you know if both of those things you put put together even though we we know that the as you said the sru is going through a very difficult period and, and needs to sort of drum up or needs to generate as much cash as possible. It's it's not a great look. No. And I think you broadly just to chuckle. So yeah, you've kind of got a little bit, it's a bit of ambiguity around how many tickets are available and who's got access to tickets. And then with all these things, just chuck in as well. It's like, well, Dodson and co paid themselves a million pounds in bonus last year. And now they're sort of going to the begging bowl to fans. And I think, you know, ultimately the, the optics just, Given the timing of the bonus season, given the timing now of, um, of what's happening, it's uh, it just doesn't look particularly great from a sort of an optics perspective. That doesn't sound like the SRU at all getting the optics wrong of an announcement. Dawson's bonus driven entirely by Mac Dewey membership signups. Yeah. Exactly. Although uh, the one thing I think I, you know, I do applaud sort of the SOU for is that there does appear to be a real, real big push not to have any redundancies, which I do think is something that you know that should that should be sort of be sort of applauded. And I think I know they've you know for sort of high earners, there's been sort of wage cuts, etc. So it's uh, and I if. You know, maybe it'd be interesting to see whether that's something that can continue on, given sort of the the extension of sort of COVID. Exactly. So we will keep an keep an eye on on all of that. Um, 
other bits and bobs before we get into the meat and drink of the Georgia game. Let's touch very quickly on the Barbarians, who there is some Scottish interest in the match against England this weekend. Sean Maitland and Tim Swinson, Scotland internationals, are both in that squad, which is being coached by Vern Cotter. Um, what do you think about Maitland sort of being in the Scotland squad, but then being given a giving a sort of pass to go and play for the the Barbarians this weekend, Matt? I mean, I think it's fair enough. I don't think he's played for the Barbarians before. He's getting towards the end of his Scotland and you know professional rugby career. He's been a really good servant to Scottish rugby. You know, he's only missing the Georgia match. I think it's completely fair enough. Um, yeah, I don't really have any problems with it. I think he probably positioned it to Tune with that in, in that sort of way. But ultimately, it's sort of a week at the Orium with a two-beer limit or a week chilling out in, in sort of Richmond where I think, do you not share a photo today where they were just like down by the park, they just like crates of beer? Yeah, exactly. I mean, how can you deny him that? Uh, the, the, the amazing one is is Tim Swinson getting the call up, you know, from the, from the start of this season, uh, you know, running down his contract at Glasgow, coming out of retirement for, for Saracens playing in, you know, champions cup semifinals, and then uh, running out for the barbarians against, uh, you know, an admittedly empty Twickenham. It, it's such a, such a mad 12 months for the guy. Yeah. And fair play to him grabbing these sort of opportunities with, uh, with both hands. So um, that is on Sunday, I believe. That's um, England versus um, the Barbarians. Um, also on Sunday, Scotland women are restarting their um, Six Nations campaign. They're playing against France. That's going to be on BBC Alba. They are, for those who have not been keeping track since the uh, tournament was abandoned in March, they have played to and lost to. They got a bit of a shellacking. Um, from England and then sort of narrowly lost out to Ireland. But that's going to be on BBC Alba on Sunday night as well. So um, best of luck to the, the Scottish um, women's side. There was, there was an interesting piece of um, news that came out from sort of English rugby where I think O2 just re-signed a deal with uh, with England rugby that covered the men's and the women's side. And I don't know what this means in, in actual practice, but the sort of narrative was that they were funding sort of the men's and women's team equally, which I guess in isolation is a really, really great news story and, it, and is really, really great for kind of England women's rugby and sort of the future of England's women's rugby. But I guess the, the concern is, is that the gulf between England and the rest of sort of the home nations is already so vast and it feels like as part of COVID, you know, it's going to be very hard for, you know, Scotland, Wales and Ireland to, to kind of continue, or to raise the kind of support that they've been given to, to women's rugby. So it's just, I don't know, I think it's, it's, great, it's great to see that sort of activity in isolation, but you almost want to see a brand kind of almost giving money to kind of the women's Six Nation in general to try and kind of lift all boats rather than one. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Absolutely, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm not sure how long the um, deal of Scottish rugby with um, for, with the women's team for SP Energy Networks runs. So it'll be interesting to see how that side of the game is financed in years to come. So. Getting in to the big game at the weekend, Scotland sort of warm up for their return to the Six Nations against Wales next week. It is Georgia again and um, on Friday night at Murrayfield. Um, Gregor Townsend named his side earlier today. I'm just scrolling frantically to bring it up in front of me because I forgot. Um, it is Rory Sutherland, Fraser Bryan and Xander Ferguson in the front row. Second row is Ben Tullis and Scott Cummings. Back row, Jamie Ritchie, Hamish Watson and Matt Ferguson. Um, Ali Price and, Ali and um, Adam Hastings at 9 and 10. And in the centre is an interesting one. James Lang of Harlequins partners up with Gloucester's Chris Harris. And then a back three for the Edinburgh Ultras. Doohan, Van der Merwe, Darcy Graham and Blair Kinghorn. So when that dropped in the group chat about midday, Matt, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, pretty excited by it. Uh, I think the thing that really jumped out to me was that back row. It's something we've had a lot of discussions about, and that's sort of the the most balanced, ideal back row that I think we came to. We just weren't maybe 100% convinced that Townsend would actually go with it. But but obviously, Richie, Watson, established starters who we know are performing at the highest level currently. And it'll be really fascinating to see Fagerson giving his shot and hopefully gets a few more shots through this Awesome Nations because it, it feels as if eight is a bit of a problem position, but he, at his best, is a really great guy to to fill that. Um, the, the other things that jumped out, obviously, Duhan making his, his debut is really exciting and that back three once again looks really great on paper James Lang and Chris Harris is is an interesting one uh you know Lang's been doing pretty well for for Harlequins this year so far um and it'll be I don't I don't think they've played together before so it'll be interesting to see how how they go um because you know as we've talked about before it, it does kind of feel as if with the riches that Scotland have in the center at the moment particularly from an attacking perspective it's maybe a bit underwhelming, unless I'm I'm being unfair. Alan, what was uh, what was your take on it? I think I was sort of a little bit surprised at potentially the the strength of the the team that Tuni put out. I think when you look through that team and and look at some of the injuries to people like Gilchrist and 
know, it'd be interesting to see if Sam Johnson plays for Glasgow, but it feels like this is potentially what Townsend sees as Scotland's strongest sort of 15, potentially apart from sort of Finn, Finn and Hastings. And given the fact that we've got a Six Nations game and then then four Autumn Nations Cup game, I, I, I thought that he might use this as, as an opportunity to give some, some of the more fringe players and potentially some of the few sort of younger players some squad, some game time. But I guess given the lack of rugby over the last sort of seven, eight months, I imagine a lot a lot of this is just about getting sort of game time into them before they potentially play the bigger games. Absolutely. And Matt, you, you touched on it there. I think James Lang was the name that sort of jumped out as everyone is a bit of a, as a bit of an unknown quantity in a Scotland jersey. He's not been with that. He's not played for Scotland since that tour. I think it was Canada, America and Argentina a few summers ago. Um, but as you say, he has been playing well um, for Harlequins. To what extent, if you look at the bench, sorry, obviously um, George Horn and Finn Russell are there. Not a great deal of cover, sort of specialist cover for the uh, the back three on the bench there. Do you think sort of Lang's versatility is maybe a, a bit of a boon to the, the squad? Yeah, probably. And a, a lot of people were sort of asking similar questions on Twitter today. And if you look at that back line as a whole, there's, there's a decent amount of versatility. Lang could play 10 or 15. Hastings could play fullback. Harris has played in the wing before. Uh, Graham and Kinghorn can play across the back three. Russell can play 10 and 12. And then, you know, I think um, in the World Cup, Horn, George Horn did a little turn on the wing uh, against Russia. I I also think it's it's a slight kind of horses for courses having six forwards on the bench because we know the style of rugby that Georgia liked to play. So I, I think when we enter the, the Autumn Nations Cup, Scotland will probably revert to a more sort of traditional five-three split. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that subsbench is so driven by by the opposition. It's also driven by the Finn Russell redemption story, and ultimately, Tooney wasn't going to be able to pick Russell in the starting fifteen next week if he didn't have him on the bench today, and he didn't sort of get that twenty twenty-five minutes to give Tooney the sort of soundbite next week to be like, oh, you know, he showed sort of the glimpses of class that we know he's had and he sort of earned his spot through sort of training to kind of get back in that starting 15. So it's uh, it's good to see sort of Finn Russell continue on that trajectory. I suppose the galaxy brain take is that um, they're just keeping Duncan Weir fresh for um, the Wales game. That... I mean, if the pudding if the pudding dropped in, to be fair though, but going back to that drop goal, if you want someone to slot you a drop goal in the last minute, the pudding is the man to be. Exactly. Um, I mean, one thing that I think is extremely pleasing, and obviously will be um, a big test against Georgia, is the strength and depth of that front row. So if you look at Sutherland, Brown, Ferguson, you can rip all three of them off and bring on. Kebble, McNally, and Bergen, and that is just a re- there's basically minor differences between your starting and sort of change um, front row, which is you know miles and miles and miles away from where we have been in that sort of front row depth for years. 
As I said, even with the whole pack, I, I do think that when Johnny Gray is back, it feels like that one to seven writes itself now going into going into those big matches, which you could potentially say, you know, is a symptom of a lack of depth. But again, to your point, I don't think that's the case in the front row. Um, and it's, it's I really do hope that Matt Ferguson, I think we've, we've been sort of big champions of him for the last sort of three years and he has, whilst obviously being very consistent for Glasgow, I don't think he's taken that sort of one step up to be that kind of international quality number eight that I think we all sort of thought he could be. So I think kind of the really key player that I think a lot of people will be focused on is, is Matt Ferguson over the next sort of three to four weeks. Yeah, um, I'm just looking at the squad. I mean, the other replacements, Rob Harley, Nick Haining and Cornell Dupree. I mean, two of the three there, Harley and Dupree, you you might have been forgiven for thinking that we had sort of seen the end of their days in a Scotland jersey. But it'll be interesting to see what they can they can still offer. Townsend still is, clearly has a bit of faith in them. I think particularly Dupree at his best was one of Edinburgh's best players in an admittedly not great Edinburgh team. And always seems to consistently perform pretty well for for a Worcester team that that maybe struggles slightly in in the Prem. I, I feel with with Harley, I I you know you know what you're gonna get. He's gonna work really, really hard. He's gonna make an absolute nuisance of himself. I, I kind of feel like we've seen everything we need to see from him, but but I can understand I think he has probably unbalanced merited his place in, in, in the wider training squad. And, you know, I, I would be surprised if you didn't see him getting sent back to Glasgow as we sort of enter the, the Autumn Nations Cup. But, you know, you never know. He might come on against Georgia and have a have a stormer and start to, to push a bit harder. No, I think you're right. I think it's hardly being in the squads, you know, whilst obviously he's been, he's been pretty consistent, I think it's very much a symptom of Gilchrist being injured and then Johnny Gray and Sam Skinner both having to play for Exeter. The one thing, I, when I saw Harley and Dupree both in the squad, I was like, shit, they must be pretty old now. And Harley's still only 30, which, you know, broadly for sort of that kind of second, that kind of, what is that kind of second row slash kind of blindside flanker isn't that old. And Conor Dupree's still 29. So, you know, still, probably both of them still got kind of, I imagine they feel that they've still got another good sort of three at least sort of three years to, for Scotland. I think you've got, um, shouldn't forget, like Crosby's injured as well. So you you would have thought that he would, you know, fit in quite nicely as that sort of bench player. So it's it's not as if Scotland, uh, you know, have a kind of real lack of players within those positions. It's maybe just, you know, circumstances have slightly forced Tooney's hand. So it's, Friday night lights at BT Murrayfield. Um, how do you think this? How do you think this one's going to to play out? I have to say, when I first saw that team, I thought that's more than enough to quite comfortably deal with Georgia. Alan, what do you reckon is going to go down? I guess with with all these things, I don't really have a good comprehension of the Georgian team, and just sort of make the assumption that sort of one to nine play across the top 14 in some capacity and probably have played sort of the last four or five games in the sort of top 14. So potentially coming in with sort of a good a good kind of um, 
set of games under the belt. So you you might you might get a situation where the Georgian pack is there. You know, it's, it's a little, kind of hits the ground running a little bit faster than a lot of those Scottish players because even you know people like Richie and Watson really haven't played that much game time over the last sort of nine ten months. Um, but yeah, I think broadly. You know, we've we've always got to expect that it's probably going to be a tough first half, and Scotland are going to sort of go on and sort of pull away with the just genuinely sort of better quality sort of backline and sort of gameplay. Yeah, I, I broadly agree with that. Um, as you say, it is difficult to 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 tell with with that Georgia team because you know they they don't have a lot of that, those kind of household names. Um, I think if we look back at Scotland's recent record against Georgia, obviously they played against them in those World Cup warm-up games and with two, I'd suppose, kind of mixed teams, put them away pretty comfortably, home and away. Um, You know, I think it'll be, there might be an element of that sort of pre-season feel to things um, that we've seen in the early matches for, for Edinburgh and Glasgow that people are still trying to, you know, uh, find their form and, and feel their way into these matches. So I, I've, I've got a slight fear that it might be a kind of slightly scrappy 50 minutes where, which George would probably quite, be quite happy with um, and make life quite difficult for Scotland. But then I think Scotland's quality and fitness, you know, being able to bring on Finn Russell off the bench against a tiring Georgian pack, I think Scot- Scotland have got enough to, to win the game by sort of 20, 25 points. And that would very much go with form. I'm just looking back at those last three games that you've talked about, Matt. It's 36-9, 44-10, 43-16. So, you know, pretty comfortable for Scotland in all of those occasions. And we talked about the Georgian team not being household names. Um, Ross Petty on Twitter has identified that the 13, his second name is Tap Ladsey. So he's like a top lad, um, which I very much enjoy. <laughs> the so tap, lad, tap Ladsy is my man. For, is my man of the match already? Perhaps <laughs> Aff Ladsy. The, exactly, exactly that. I guess the one thing for got a thing for Georgia is they've been given the the kind of the shittest position when it comes to the the Autumn Nations Cup and they've been chucked in that group with England, Wales and Ireland and you just wonder if they potentially will pinpoint this game for that. That's you know They're looking for that big win over a Six Nations opponent just to kind of bolster their case that there should be promotion and relegation and you know, whilst I, I, you know, I think we're on a similar level to definitely Wales, I do think broadly that those teams still still would see Scotland as a as an easier opposition. Yeah, it feels like every game we've played against Georgia or anyone in the Six Nations has played against Georgia for like the last ten years has sort of been billed as that you know this is going to be the big one, and they've always sort of just about struggled to you know actually make it come yeah. true, um, which is, is a bit of a shame. Yeah, but. That you might have just cursed Scotland by saying that, and this could be the opportunity. This could be the time. If there's going to be one team that like loses against Georgia and breaks that duck, it's going to be Scotland. I'm going to say I'm going to wonder what the bet, what the odds are on Scotland losing to Georgia but winning the Autumn Nations Cup. That is definitely worth a tenner. 
Um, I think you're. I think you're quite right, and I very much hope I haven't jinxed um, Scotland's chances. Not least because we got a really lovely email this uh, this week um, from listener Blair Anderson, which I'm going to read out now. That's the thistlerugby at gmail.com if you want to say something. This is from Blair. He says, lads, long-time listener, first-time emailer. My son, Jura, was born on Valentine's Day this year, landing perfectly on the break weekend in the Six Nations. We then enjoyed victories against Italy and France together before the world shut down. With international rugby making a comeback this weekend, it had me thinking that Jura might hold the record as one of the few Scotland fans who is currently unbeaten and has never seen Scotland lose. What a world to live in. Um, Looking forward to the analysis um, for the rest of the year and a shout out to my son's unbeaten year would be amazing. So for a million reasons and that one, I very much hope that I have not um, broken Jura's, uh, put the jinx on Jura's unbeaten year. Because there's a good chance if we beat the Georgians, win the Autumn Nations Cup, Jura could see it through to he could see it through to the to 2021 unbeaten, which would be unreal. Can't believe you put a curse on and and basically ruined Jura's sort of like young life. Made, made, it, made, it, made a young boy cry. It's, uh... I apologise in advance, Jura, but I think you're going to have to get used to a disappointing life of Scottish rugby results. So, the, and then. I guess obviously we sort of talked through the the Scotland team. I think one of the one of the issues now is now that we've got to sort of pack a lot of fixtures into sort of a shortened period of time. Is we have Pro Fourteen this weekend? Yeah, as if you needed more rugby this weekend. Uh, you've got the Ospreys playing against Glasgow and um, Edinburgh playing Connacht. As we kind of touched on earlier, it's going to be very very interesting to see. Um, who is is released from the Scotland squad to play for the pro teams. And in a very interesting one for Edinburgh in particular, shorn of essentially all of their back three. And Damien Hoyland, it was announced today, is has left Scotland camp injured. So they're looking particularly threadbare at, um, at 15. So I'm going to be really interested to see who Edinburgh field um, in their back three this weekend. Yeah, I, I mean, I wonder if there'll be a bit of an SOS call for some of the sevens players um, because, you know, some people on, on Twitter were sort of speculating as to who could play fullback and, and ended up on Mark Bennett. You know, I, I could see him doing a reasonable job there, but it doesn't seem like the, the best solution. No, I, I, absolutely. And it feels like there is players in that seven squad with that requires sort of 15s experience that they're able to sort of step in you know, relatively easily for what is, you know, going to be, all teams are going to be slightly depleted. Although to be fair, Connacht are potentially <laughs> the one, the, the one team across sort of the, the pro 14 who might have the, the least impact from those international teams playing on the same weekend. I think they've got, they've actually got uh I think they've got four or five players in the Ireland squad which for Connacht is actually pretty high. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you're 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 right. It's it's nothing like Edinburgh Glasgow for instance, obviously the the hardest hit. Absolutely. So um I don't actually I haven't looked too much these the teams aren't out for these games yet, but I think 
the Edinburgh games at that lovely sort of like quite leisurely Sunday evening slot, if Edinburgh versus Connacht on a Sunday evening is your idea of a good time to sort of ease out of the week, um, it's in that sort of that this weird sort of Pro 14 slot. So, um, Alan, you quite like that. A little, little glass of rouge, some Pro 14 action. Oh, Sunday night Pro 14. That is what life is made for. Maybe can, can, a warm can of tea, um, a little sort of like, I don't know, battered sausage supper, Edinburgh v. Connect on the big screen. Absolute dream. Sounds absolutely delightful. And speaking of which, Alan, you teased it earlier. Is it time for the drop goal quiz? Good to go. Right. After you caught, I think, now thinking back to it, I think you're right. And I think we have done drop goals previously. So I'm going to change it up a little bit. I'm going to say, over the last, and you're going to say, this is from the 1st of January 2000 till the 21st of October 2020. There is 18 players who have scored a conversion for Scotland. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Hey, you came at me with the drop goal chat. I've I've taken an audible, and I'm I'm throwing it back at you. So I'll give you five more seconds, and then we'll just go, go one for one. Right, Dave, who have you got? Patterson is correct. Annie? Parks. Parks is obviously correct. Parks has 15, Patterson 90. Dave, who's next? Donkey Ware. With only seven conversions, I guess he's played mostly with, with Laidlaw, to be fair. Yeah, Ware's all good. What, sorry, what year was this from? From the 1st of January 2000 to the 21st of October 2020. Okay. Uh, Gordon Ross. Gordon Ross is correct. Six conversions. Might be Phil Gorman. Phil Gorman, yeah. 12. Duncan Hodge. Hodge, correct. Seven. Greg Laidlaw. Laidlaw is top of the tree with 106. Uh, Townsend? Yeah, Townsend's got eight. Rui Jackson? Rui Jackson is correct. He's got six. Uh, Finn Russell? Yeah, Russell is correct. you got 10 of the 18. Did you say from 2000? From 1st first, first of January 2000. Kenny Logan? Kenny Logan is correct. He's got four. Very nice. Tom Heathcote? Now, interestingly, the answer is no. There is no Tom Heathcote. Yeah, I thought, I thought he would, but... Um, Has he only got penalties then? Ha- no. Has Tom Heathcote? No, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll double check afterwards, but he's not on the list, and so no. <laughs> Fair enough. Dave, back to you. So that's six five to Dave at the moment. 
I'm beginning to struggle a wee bit. Um, I can't get his name out of my head, so I'm just going to say it. Stuart Hogg. Hogg is incorrect. Never, t- never taken a conversion. Did we say Hastings? We did not say Adam Hastings. Hastings. Oh, Six more. There's one big one from back in the day. And then the rest are sort of kind of all still around playing. Is it my go? You can you can both just shout out now. Is Pergos got one? Pergos does not. Oh right. You're right by Heathcote, I just checked. Um James Lang. James Lang is incorrect. Ah. Not one over in that weird Canada game. Kinghorn. Kinghorn is correct. He's got five. Five. Yeah. Pete Horn. Pete Horn is also correct. Oh, no, you're really pulling away now. Um. Think about the match this weekend. Last weekend. Hidalgo Klein. Hidalgo Klein has got two. Jesus. So you said there's one big There's there's three left, right? One is in the starting 23 this weekend. Okay. One finished playing... Playing for Scotland in two thousand and four, and the other player went to the twenty nineteen Rugby World Cup, but is currently injured. I think. In the start of twenty four. Yeah. I, I generally. Huh. Ali Price. No. I mean, you can literally just go through the backs in the 23. <laughs> yeah, but we've said all of them. You have not said all of them. Chris Harris? George Horn. George Horn has one conversion against Georgia, actually. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. You've then got someone who played between 01 and 04. Position? Chainsaw. Oh, Lane. <laughs> Brendan. Brendan. Uh, and the next one is a centre. The last one, sorry, is a centre. But it's still in and around the Scotland squad. Who was in the uh, World was in Was in the Rugby World Cup. <laughs> Generally drawing an enormous blank. I've tried to, tried to repress those memories is from... Uh, I'll say he scored the conversion against Italy in Singapore when he was playing fullback. Oh, Duncan Taylor. Duncan Taylor is your final one. You're you're 18 who have scored a conversion for Scotland over the last 20 years. There you go. That was good. I think I won that. 
Uh, yes, you almost certainly won that. And I say almost certainly, you certainly won that. Yeah, I kind of, I tailed off. You had a good start, to be fair. Yeah, but I mean, I was really just naming, you know, all of the fly halves that I could remember. I mean, once you go beyond that, I was pretty poor. <laughs> so I did the I did the bare minimum. But uh, that is what I've become famous for in our almost four years of doing this podcast. Um, right. In that case, um, we will leave it there. Scotland up against Georgia on Friday night. And we will be back next week to uh, talk about that and preview, actually, the big game, which is coming up against Wales, our final match of the Six Nations. Um, and Scotland ultimately winning the Six Nations once all the other results go our way. Um, in the meantime, please uh, keep up with us on Twitter at ThistleRugbyPod, on Instagram, ThistleRugbyPod. Send us an email like our, our good um, our good friend did this evening. That's the ThistleRugby at gmail.com. And please, please, please subscribe to our newsletter. Get yourself on the Substack Thistle Rugby Pod, and we will be in your inbox every week. Thank you very much. Good night. Cheers. Cheers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.